Hey, everybody. Hope you're all safe and sound out there. Today brings uh, another one of our Do Better Better essays, crafted to help you think more clearly about the future today. Uh, reminder, we're rolling these out from the back catalog, and we'll be all caught up in about a week or so. I uh, hope you enjoy them. These essays, again, complement the audio version of our weekly newsletter, and of course, our groundbreaking conversations with diverse interdisciplinary humans working on the front lines of the future. Uh, we are super grateful to have you as part of our community, working alongside us on the world's biggest problems and opportunities. Uh, two last reminders, you can get these essays, our newsletter, and more right in your inbox at importantnotimportant.com. Uh, you can also send us feedback. Uh, we would love it at questions at importantnotimportant.com. Uh, feel free to record a voice memo right on your phone and send that in too, and we might use it in a future episode. Okay, uh, today is uh, Do Better Better number three, uh, titled This Is What Makes Us Exceptional, originally published August 2nd, 2020. America has suffered dearly the effects of a novel virus, a virus the likes of which nearly everyone in the virological and epidemiological world saw coming, a virus whose growth can easily be projected with some simple math. But as the Stoics say, you cannot control what happens to you. You can only control how you react. And so what has been far more difficult to project and greatly muddled such easy math has been America's reaction to this new threat. Your reaction and mine, your friends, your companies, your towns, that of your representative, your senator, or our president. But should all of these reactions been so difficult to project? Is America right where it should be, all things considered? From individualism to states' rights to an unchecked president, is our sum greater than our parts? Is this moment the pinnacle of all of our hard work towards exceptionalism? And finally, looking forward, where can we start to rebuild and what role can you play? We've talked quite a bit here about how a disproportionate percentage of America's COVID body count continues to fall on black and brown families, Families riddled with pre-existing conditions far more prevalent than among whites, conditions due in part to pollution and to racism. But America has also suffered because of its steadfast belief in the still young nation's exceptionalism, and a deeper look into how widely held that fantasy remains across such wildly varying places as Los Angeles, New York City, and the South is warranted, fascinating, and instructive to our past and future. Unfortunately, there is one observation we can make with no deep look required. Despite each of the aforementioned areas' many differences, as well as their geographic distance from one another, the shared, steadfast dedication to this outright fiction has garnered a very similar result, mass suffering and death. It is said that New York citizens finally shed their long-held belief in invincibility and buckled down in April and May, in part because of the endless ambulance sirens piercing the otherwise quiet streets, a result of the city's density. The noise was an inescapable warning to everyone living on top of one another, everyone not already in the back of an emergency vehicle, and so, while New Yorkers mourn the loss of many of their neighbors, they have otherwise, for now, turned the tide. It is perhaps the greatest manifestation of Neighborhood Watch ever conducted. Los Angeles, while dense, is nowhere near as tightly packed as New York, and so didn't have the accompanying early spike, nor the opportunity to mourn together from a distance with neighbors 
as ambulances raced down its wide and usually congested boulevards. By some data-driven accounts, those boulevards weren't nearly as abandoned during the first lockdown as they could have been or should have been. Perhaps the current situation, then, is less due to putting down their guard, but more so never having put it up in the first place, never having truly felt threatened. Let's stop there for a moment. Did you feel the same way? Sure, you ran out and bought toilet paper, but when did you first feel threatened by this virus and the accompanying disease? What were your moves then? What was your company's initial response? Was there a plan to follow? Who did you listen to? What was exceptional about your preparation and execution as a person, as a citizen, as a community member, as an employee, as a parent? Rock bottom, which is where we currently find ourselves, is the perfect time to dissect our actions and plans, if any, to adapt and mitigate, of course, but also to strategize for an even more uncertain future. The economy is in shambles and may only get worse. Do you have six months of emergency cash in a conservatively invested, relatively liquid equities account? How does that fit into your plan to rebuild? But returning to our broader story, Los Angeles County is, alas, relatively dense and vast and very mobile, and despite advertising themselves as the vanguard of the so-called resistance and champions of progressivism, its citizens often act otherwise, see vaccinations and transportation and housing, And so, given such a wide opportunity, our virus was going to virus, and math being math, Los Angelinos, too, are suffering the practical consequences of self-mythologizing. The American South, a vast, multi-state region, entirely different in geography, climate, demographics, and density than those mentioned above, operates less from a vaunted pedestal. Instead, many of its people and elected leaders are more interested in, and dedicated to, either kicking that pedestal out from under scientific facts and those that deliver them, or just ignoring the field entirely, continuing what seems like an endless streak of voting against their actual self-interests. Sometimes those interests are vague. In this specific case, they are to continue living and breathing. Why do so many different segments of America's melting pot still consider themselves untouchable? Why is this our most unifying trait in 2020? Looking back, did America's sense of exceptionalism begin with breaking away from the vaunted British Empire or with the subsequent construction of the world's largest slave empire and a fantastically comprehensive and successful system of white supremacy? In each of those cases, America could have certainly graded itself as being the exceptions to the rule. Considering what's been happening in our streets for the past few months and years and decades, it would seem that the latter two are the more obvious carryovers, especially when we are faced with that constant theme of those same white Southern people voting against their supposed self-interests. Let's just call it what it is. In 2020, is exceptionalism still the title belt for racial superiority, despite the trade-off of worse jobs? worse pay, and worse economies? Is the title still worth the damage? Apparently so. To get more specific, exceptional is perhaps a term perfectly suited for white America's steadfast requirement that the jobs that cannot be accomplished via soft pants and Zoom picking 
slaughtering, processing, cooking, serving, delivering our food, for example. Those jobs must be filled, no matter the pandemic, by Black and Brown Americans. Americans who, by rule, must live near coal plants and refineries, earn low hourly wages, have no health care, no child care. And so, when you add it all up, are at most risk of being infected, and also, perversely, most at risk of having an underlying condition making this disease more deadly than it otherwise would be. And so we do remain exceptional, of course, at least in this regard. During the global pandemic, nowhere on earth has brought as much suffering upon themselves as we have. Once again, we are the exceptions to the rule. America's post-mortem, of which we have already and necessarily started conducting, not even halfway through the crisis itself, is devastating. We can blame Trump. We can blame McConnell. We can blame racism and racists. We can blame smarter-than-thou liberals. We can blame Fox News. We can blame the decline of public health, a just-in-time medical supply chain, for-profit hospitals, the reputation of New Age generalists that can help see and connect all the moving pieces, paired with a sadistic appraisal of fact and expertise. And of course, we can blame America's ritualistic allegiance to liberty and free thinking. We can blame white people who mostly continue to support Trump, just as we can blame our failing and extortionate education system. We can also blame fax machines and a refusal to participate in contact tracing, a time-tested monitoring system that's helped defeat polio and the measles. We watched, horrified, but still mostly unthreatened, as the richest part of Italy became a COVID zombie war zone. And now, just a month later, the Italian medical machine collect and process tens of indicators on the virus and public health on the daily, basically building a detailed, dynamic report card with which to make decisions, like, say, whether to open schools. What is exceptional about the former title holder for the most innovative country on the planet being a big data laughing house in 2020 when it counts? Everything, it seems. We're the only ones who insist on doing it this way, which is to say, not doing anything at all. Does that same strategy of compounded negligence feel appropriate for Californians in range of wildfires? For those of you in the Midwest along a floodplain, or in New Orleans or Miami on the coast? Those of you who work in insurance, in live events, in travel, in food production? It seems insane, doesn't it? Going forward, the question becomes, how do we get back to neutral in each of these marks? Once there, can we create a measurable standard for excellence and exceptionalism in coming months and years? And where do we begin? What are the benefits of individual action when tied to systemic measures? Where can you begin? It's said that you can't improve what you can't measure. We have all recently been given a measure of our preparedness, our ability to react with or without empathy, and now we are challenged to build a new plan for going forward. Exceptional is a high bar, but we are inspired by examples of the truly exceptional every day, by people often playing the game of America with one hand tied behind their backs. 
what are the practical applications of exceptional in your world? And what are the steps to get there? Okay, last thing before we go, folks. Uh, If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, a rating and a review would go a long way to supporting our community. Uh, Same thing for Overcast, for example. Just tap that star button. It takes just a few seconds and you can do it right from your phone. Uh, And we would love if you joined our community and subscribed to these episodes today anywhere you listen to podcasts. And as always, you'll find plenty more awesome tools to fight for a better future at our website and in our newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. Thank you. Thank you.